0: We've got a pretty good follow to the story we talked about yesterday on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And the story we're talking about is the letters that were sent to the state in support of fracking in state parks, kind of preposterous, that were signed by people who say they did not send them. Monday was a day for the fallout of Jake Zuckerman's very powerful story. Laura, what was the fallout?
1: This is big. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost said Monday that he's ordering subpoenas, probing the origins of these public comments, because these authors say they didn't knowingly allow anyone to use their names. So he's looking into this. He's still working on the specifics, but the goal is to assess what happened behind the scenes that led to these form letters They were all drafted by the the pro oil and gas consumer energy Alliance submitted to state regulators.
0: Well, wait, wait no, they, they weren't drafted by them. They're well, saying that people, the form letter,
1: in. the form letter was drafted by them. And then how the names got attached to this, the form letter appears more than a thousand times in the state database. Jake talked to dozens of Ohioans who say they didn't knowingly authorize their names to be used on this. So he says there are potential violations of law and, more importantly, he says people's names appearing on public comments they don't believe in violates their rights to their identity and a government's right to meaningful democratic process. If it's not already illegal, he said they ought to consider guardrails in a legislature to protect people's interests.
0: Yeah. And lots of others came out of the woodwork to call for an investigation and the removal of these letters. Look, this company, this agency, this nonprofit, was incredibly aggressive with us in trying to stop this story, kept lobbying all sorts of false accusations, at Jake and even me. Uh, And yesterday they they published a letter saying that we said things we didn't say. We didn't say they fabricated these and they're calling it all sorts of, of horrible things and trying to Show offense is a good defense. Here's their problem. This is the fourth time it has arisen with them that letters were sent in in support of an issue that were signed by people who said, I did not do that. I did not authorize it. And they can keep saying, Oh, we use a vendor. We didn't do anything wrong. We track it. But four times now, thousand letters go into the state saying a certain thing, signed by names, and they're not by the people that are listed, and they're the ones providing it. There's a problem here, Mm -hmm. whether whatever you want to say, whether it's criminal or civil, Yost is right. There is a false impression being made that this company is involved in and they can claim all sorts of things they want. But if it weren't for this company, those letters wouldn't be in the state files. So I'm glad Yost is doing this. If it's not criminal, I hope you file something civilly. This has got to stop. We cannot mm-hmm. give people this false impression that all these people have come out of the woodwork to say, let's let's go ahead and destroy our state parks, which is ridiculous on its face.
1: Right. A bunch of groups came out yesterday and said, we need you know, you need to look into this minority leader, Alison Russo. She's the leader of the Democrats, sent letters to Yost and the Ohio Department of Natural Resource Director, Mary Mertz. She's saying you've got to investigate this and that she wants all of the land leasing decisions to be delayed while they figure it out and for the ohio gas and land management commission i think that's what those letters stand for verify the public comments on the record because so far what the state has said is we're going to strip out any that we know you 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 are not in support of but how i mean there are thousands of them how are you supposed to know that your name is on something in the state files if you didn't sign it It, it's it's Well, it's it's an absence of something. Yeah,
0: but I got notes from people yesterday asking if we would explain the process for how they can find out if they're in there. So we may have to look into that. Oh, yeah, we could
1: just list every single person they have named. The commission is working on creating a public comments portal inside it so that people can directly submit their comments to the website with additional authentication tools instead of just relying on these letters coming from elsewhere.
0: This agency's response was so over the top, so aggressive. And I think they realized that their time might be running out. I mean, four times now they're Including in, once in Ohio. Yeah. Once in Ohio, four times letters are going in with their involvement that the people say, I didn't sign. That is a colossal problem for this agency. And no amount of of pointing fingers well the vendor this that nobody can do this this is a problem and they're not fixing it even though it's come up repeatedly i think Yoast will be the one that brings them to account
1: you're listening to
0: today in ohio after months of being ignored outside of cleveland the city's summer of crime is finally getting a concerted strategy mike dewine is returning to cleveland to talk about the results Layla, what are some of the strategies we've seen so far?
2: Yes. So he's back in town today. He'll be speaking at 1.30 at the 3rd District Police Station uh, to update the public on how these anti-violence initiatives and and partnerships have been going. Uh, Kaiga County Sheriff's deputies, U.S. Marshals, and state troopers have worked with Cleveland officers to make tons of arrests in recent weeks after all the violent crime. Cleveland, of course, has seen at least 125 homicides this, this year so far. But sheriff's deputies, they are, have reported that they've made 371 traffic stops in a month, issuing 129 citations. They also made arrests of 16 people wanted on warrants. Meanwhile, the state troopers have made dozens of arrests after DeWine ordered them to help patrol the city. And last week, federal authorities, including ATF agents, announced that they arrested nearly 60 people accused of illegal gun dealing in Cleveland. So the this this initiative is off to a very aggressive start. Uh, it's yet to be seen if, if this partnership with the state will be ongoing or, or if DeWine will scale it back um, once, uh, now that they've made this big splash.
0: Oh, I hope they don't scale it back. It's the first thing that has said there is accountability to all these folks that are that are creating this crime wave with the stolen cars and the gun trade. I mean, this is it's been good to see finally. I mean, we complained about this for months and months saying, where is the external help? And man, we're getting lots of it from the feds, from the county. And uh, hopefully Mike DeWine will have some good things to say about it. I'm glad that he has focused on it. i What I'm not aware of, is he doing this in other cities or is it just the squeaky wheel that got the grease here? Yeah, it's a good Cleveland- question.
2: I don't know. I don't know if it's sustainable to to do it in every major city that needs it. But but uh, you know we are the ones that have been calling for it so loudly. So um, I don't know. What were you going to say, Chris? I'm yeah. oh, sorry.
0: It's good that he responded. I mean, it's good. It's. I, I mean, really, I don't care if they could do it in other cities. <laughs> we needed to help here. Uh, people were really reeling from this and have been very grateful that there's been some statements made. And look, if you go by the philosophy that a very small number of people cause most of the gun violence, removing them from the street reduces gun violence because they're the, the causes.
2: DeWine did we'll Dewine the, did suggest that. I mean, it sounded like from his, his remarks— Earlier this week, that he has been very closely in touch with leaders in other cities about the issue of violence. I mean, he mentioned how he has learned just how many kids are involved in violent crime, and how he was stunned by that fact that the number of younger and younger people who are committing violent crimes is on the rise in Ohio, and how how that kind of lit a f- fire for him and, and wanting to address the societal issues that give rise to that. Which, of course, we've known for a very long time, but it's it suggested to me that he is actually. Uh, talking with other other city leaders across the state, and, and maybe he is extending this kind of assistance.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. You want controversial? We've got controversial. Lisa, the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland has quietly instituted a new policy for students and teachers in the churches and schools about LGBTQ issues. What does that policy say?
3: It says a lot, and they crammed a lot of rules in this two-page policy. This policy was signed August 30th by Bishop Edward Malesic and Chancellor Vincent Card- Gardner. It's called Parish and School Policy on Issues of Sexuality and Gender Identity. It immediately went into effect on September 1st. It covers all offices, parishes, parish and diocese and schools, staff, students, volunteers. So... Let me start the list. Staff and faculty that are aware that a minor is experiencing gender dysphoria or confusion must report it to parents. If there's a worry of child abuse, if the parents find out, they will consult a moral theologian about it. Preferred pronouns are banned from speech and writing. Minors who want to use nicknames must get their parents' permission first. These nicknames can't be used to obscure or contradict the person's God-given biological sex or if using that nickname would cause a scandal. They must use bathrooms and locker rooms matching their sex assigned at birth. Transgender girls cannot participate in girls' sports, but exceptions might be made for transgender men to join men's sports. There is an irony there. Students cannot attend a dance or other church sponsored events with a person of the same sex. They can't display any attraction or romantic interest at these events. And they suggest that, you know, if you're LGBTQ and want to attend, you can either go stag or with a platonic friend. They ban displays of LGBTQ pride, flags, rainbow symbols, and so on that go against church teachings, but they say that respectful discussion and debate over these issues is okay. Gender affirming health care, surgery, puberty blockers, and other things are prohibited. All health records must reflect their gender at birth. Um, so there you have it. There's a lot in that policy.
0: And it was a very strong reaction. I've mentioned repeatedly that I send out a text message to a couple thousand people who subscribe about what we're thinking about. I did not send a text on this, but I got text messages back from those subscribers yesterday talking about this after the story popped up. And and it's fascinating because it's both sides. There are people that are saying, Doesn't a parent deserve to know what's going on with their kids? They're the ones that are responsible for the children. The children are not adults. They're not free to make all their decisions yet. The parents are the guardrails. What's wrong with a policy that keeps the parents in the know about what's going on? Then there's the other side saying that some parents are hugely intolerant. The psychological damage of rejection by parents over something like this is, is long lasting. And so there's a privacy concern Um, And that's apart from all of the rules you just discussed where you can't show anything. You can't the
1: the, the rainbow flag. I was I I mean, I get the the discord on, on on the transgender issue. And I know people feel really strong about pronouns and everything. But like this goes really far. This this set of rules.
3: Yeah, they made, they closed all the loopholes, it appears to me. And they gave a statement to us here at cleveland.com and the plain dealer saying that everyone is welcome to be part of the Catholic Church. And they hope that this policy helps people to live more fully in the truth of their identity as a son or daughter of God made in his image. And also, they said that parents who refuse to treat, you know, their child's gender dysphoria or confusion is, is, that's inconsistent with their biological sex is not abuse.
0: The, the Pope recently blasted parts of the, the Catholic leadership in America saying that it's letting politics rule instead of the Christianity. And this is so strong. You, you wonder whether our bishop is part of what the Pope is talking about here. Uh, this this was kind of an iron-fisted policy. And, and again, there, there are people clearly on both sides. Laura, you mentioned the pronouns. I continue to hear from mm-hmm. people that are very uncomfortable with what has happened with the language. They just don't think that we all had a choice in that. And suddenly it was thrust upon everybody and they're they're not comfortable with it, even okay. though it's, it's yeah. becoming more of a fact of life. So it, this is by no means an issue where there's a consensus. There there are people who feel very strongly about it. Mm -hmm. Molly Walsh talked to a student that very much believes in this policy. She talked to people that are very much against this policy. Mm -hmm. But one thing for sure, it's controversial.
1: Well, that's the thing is, and I wrote this in my editor's note for the Wake Up newsletter today, is like, this is a hugely divisive issue. And There was a Pew Research study last year that found almost nobody was comfortable with the pace of change. Uh, Something about half of Americans think we're moving too fast toward, you know, changing gender identity in politics. About a quarter of people think we're moving too slow. And then there's a quarter of people that think the pace is just right. But I think there's a lot of people uncomfortable with the wide ranging number of issues involved in this.
2: I'll tell you what, though the the young generation of Catholics are not going to stand for this. I, I do no. agree with
1: you. The younger you get, the more progressive you are, and the more love is love is love.
2: And our Which- children's generation are are the the most uh, accepting mm-hmm. yet, and they are go- they are not going to stand for this. I, the, the number of kids in in my daughter's sixth grade class who consider themselves gender non-binary is stunning. And and I, I just, I can't believe that the, that the diocese would put themselves in this jackpot. They're, they're going to alienate so many young people.
1: The LGBTQ Center of Cleveland said 25% of high school students in the Cleveland area identify as LGBTQ. That's yeah, huge. Is that, but I don't know. Is I don't that, know if that's right. Is that
0: real though? Or yeah, is that, that sounds, it,
3: high be. Or, sounds high to me. It sounds high.
0: But Layla, you had mentioned a while back that you you wondered whether because the LGBT community is so accepting of all that kids who are uncomfortable in school— Gravitate to it because that's the one place they can go where they're accepted. Because you know, kids in school are always filled with anxiety, and I wonder if that plays into that higher than expected percentage. Well,
2: and I think that the the gender, the G of the LGBTQ, is probably a big part of that percentage because I think as children start to kind of figure themselves out, that might be that gray area where they are exploring their you know their world. I mean, I don't think, so I think, you know, the sexuality comes in later, but gender is something that, that kids start to think about earlier and earlier. And I think that's why that, that's one of the reasons why that, that percentage is so high.
3: Just a slight correction. The G actually stands for gay unless oh, you changed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, I think you're right. Yeah. I think they'd probably fall in the, the Q, Q or the, or the, <laughs> my <laughs> right. apologies, the Q. <laughs> 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 Thank you, okay. Lisa.
0: Well, we've heard from so many people in the readership that they want us to keep exploring this, that we will. Uh, It's something that people really seem to want to discuss. You're listening to Today in Ohio, where we discuss things like this. Northeast Ohio's population has been stagnant for years. So, Laura, how did our metropolitan statistical area suddenly grow by nearly 100,000 people?
1: Yeah, this is a a quandary, right? And uh, Zachary Smith did a great job and the headline was so enticing. It was like, how did we grow? we were not adding to our population. Well, we added Ashtabula to the census metro area. Ashtabula apparently has about 97,000 people in the entire county that ups our population to 2.16 million in the whole five-county area. Because remember, these are statistical areas that is used for the purposes of dividing a metropolitan area. What's interesting is that Akron is not part of our metro area. It's always been Cleveland Illyria, if you look on a list for the census. Well, Lorain County is still in it. We added Ashtabula. Akron and Canton are still lumped in together, but you put us all together for a combined statistical area. That's for seven regions. And uh, this is what the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, use when they crunch all of our numbers. And, I mean, we do have a lot of people – all in the same media market, per se.
0: Yeah, but Ashtabula is not considered part of greater Cleveland. That no. That one throws me completely. Mm-hmm. Lake, Geauga, Portage, Medina, Lorraine. Yeah, I would include Summit, but Akron's a city, so they keep it separate. But when you add Mahoning, that's going to alter the studies people do on demographics and jobs and industry. It just seems odd. That's that's not
1: adding Mahoning. Did you mean Ashtabula?
0: I mean, I, okay. yeah, I, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it should be part of what we're talking about. I,
1: but what else are they part of? They're not Erie, Pennsylvania.
0: No, and look, I hear from a lot of people in Ashtabula. They they are uh, readers, listeners of our site, of our podcast, the, the newspaper. Um, so they feel a part of Cleveland. So maybe, you know, maybe while Cleveland may not see something that distant and rural as part of the area, they
1: do. And maybe I mean, that
0: plays into it.
1: When we say Northeast Ohio, they are the very tip of the Northeast in Ohio.
0: Yeah. It's always been weird that we call Cleveland Northeast Ohio because it's really not Northeast Ohio, (laughs) but whatever. I didn't set it up. It was like that when I got here. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, is JM Smucker Company trying to become the king of junk food? What did the Northeast Ohio Company just add to its portfolio? Well,
2: All right. First of all, I'm going to take this Smucker story as an opportunity to reiterate my hatred of The disgusting peanut butter and jelly pies notice on crustables.
1: <laughs> okay, I actually had one this summer like for the first time, <laughs> Okay.
2: but now that that's out of the way, the uh, the big news here is that uh, the Orville, ba- Ohio based Smuckers is buying Hostess brands for 5.6 billion dollars. Hostess, you know, the maker of Twinkies, Ho Ho, Zingers, they will join. The JM Smucker portfolio, which already includes other brands like Folgers, Jiff peanut butter, Meow Mix, as well as of, of course Smucker's jelly, and JM Smucker will pay thirty-four point two five or thirty-four dollars and twenty-five cents a share in a deal that's a mix of cash, stocks, and um, they're also going to assume nine hundred million dollars of Hostess's debt. The deal is expected to close by April 30th, and shareholders of Hostess will get $30 cash for each share, plus a partial share of J.M. Smucker stock. The deal will include Hostess manufacturing facilities in Kansas, Illinois, Georgia, Indiana, Arkansas, and Canada, and a distribution facility in Kansas. About 3,000 Hostess employees are going to join J.M. Smucker uh, the CEO, uh, Mark Smucker, told investors in a call recently that people are are buying a ton of sweet baked goods, more than any other category of snack, very depressingly. So Smucker's wanted in on that growing market. And that's but, that's how we have this empire now.
0: But if you're going to eat that kind of food, is it really going to be a Twinkie? Or are you going to go for something <laughs> that is delicious?
2: It was the last time anybody on
0: this podcast had a Twinkie.
3: I had a ding dong recently. Really? Oh yeah, and it was delicious. <laughs> okay, okay, then
0: <laughs> I haven't had that I think since grammar school. Uh, I can't eat that stuff because I'm a celiac. So that, that that's kind of an artificial. All right. Well, if, if people are buying them, it's cool that Smuckers has them. I, I do remember the Uncrustable conversation from probably two years ago, Layla, but it's good that that, that hatred is still there. Oh,
2: gross. Remember over the summer uh, when I sent you guys that picture from the, the ball field, from Progressive Field? They had the oh. the popcorn, <laughs> the peanuts, the Cracker jack. And the Uncrustables. Right. So when I was, in, a I was in I was in, Montreal
1: this summer and we were wandering around the old port and somebody was handing them out free, like try the Uncrustable. And that is when I tried mine because I was like, yes, it's free. Yes, I'm hungry. I will eat this. And it wasn't Was it terrible. frozen in the middle?
2: Was it, it was not frozen.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, I'm not going to say it was fresh, <laughs> so but it was not frozen.
0: Okay. Moving on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The Cleveland Browns have their partner in a sports book. It's somebody that has been trying to be involved in a sports book since the beginning, but was shut out. Lisa, who is it?
3: He is Cleveland developer Bobby George. So he's partnering with the Browns to open a sports book on East 4th Street in the space currently occupied by Harry Buffalo, which will be moving to another downtown locations. This will be part of a new entertainment concept that George is creating around this. So the B- Browns betting partner, Ballybet, is also involved. So this new sports book would be called the Ballybet Sportsbook. Uh, Browns and George had separate plans, each pursuing their own license for a sports book, but Cuyahoga County limited it to only five sports books. So we had the Browns, the Cavs, the Guardians, Jack Casino, and Jack Thistledown. They got the licenses. George was number six in line. Uh, there was an attempt to increase the number to seven, but that didn't make the state budget. But this allows the Browns to skirt an NFL policy that would have allowed the sports book at the stadium, but if it was at the stadium, it couldn't be open during home games. The NBA and the MLB do not have that same rule. Arizona Cardinals have already done this, they open their sports book just a half a mile from their stadium.
0: It's an odd rule for the NFL to say the teams can own these things, but you can't. Have them on the day of the game when everybody's in your stadium. I don't quite understand that rule. They don't have it for the other sports, but this is, I guess, their easy way out. So, what becomes of the Harry Buffalo that's going to be taken over for this?
3: So, it's going to undergo a complete renovation top to bottom. There aren't many details yet, but he did say it probably will, you know, include a rooftop restaurant.
0: And then he'll move the Harry Buffalo somewhere, somewhere else nearby. Correct. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. The autumnal equinox, the official start of fall, isn't till the 23rd, but we've seen enough to know that this summer ranks pretty high in the number and variety of newsworthy natural phenomena, mostly weather. Laura, let's recap.
1: Let's see we had both a drought and flooding so I would say that's an unusual summer plus a dozen tornadoes we were mostly cooler than normal a couple of hot streaks including when we had wildfire smoke in June and that's when the air quality index was as high as 291 we had a little bit of more smoke in July and that we had advisories before it's the first time I can ever remember outdoor activities being canceled for smoke so maybe that's what people will remember about. The summer 2023 weather is, I wonder if the summer converted any climate change deniers because of all of the weirdness. And then, of course, in July, we had all of the rain. We had flooding so bad on I-90 that police and firefighters used inflatable boats to rescue people. Literally never seen that before in my lifetime. And then I think it was the next night, the one that we had tornadoes. So a couple of crazy things in quick succession.
0: And then the earthquake. Yeah, the earthquake. We all went searching for our pandemic masks, but this time to keep out the smoke, which the (laughs) stories made clear was very bad for us if you're outside. Very strange summer. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Remember the guy who was walking down the street during the riot in Cleveland following the George Floyd murder and lost his eye when he was shot for no reason with a beanbag? It was a video of this. He sued and now he is settling. Layla, what's his settlement? The
2: county settled for $1.5 million with John T. Sanders. He was a photographer who was taking pictures of the May 30th, 2020 protests outside the Justice Center downtown Cleveland when the police clashed with protesters and the scene turned pretty violent. Sanders had earlier told Cleveland.com that he went to the Justice Center to take photos of graffiti and broken windows when... A deputy tossed a chemical spray canister in his direction and when he walked away, a deputy named Bruce Lory fired beanbag rounds from 75 feet away and one hit him in his left temple. That round exploded and sent pellets into his eyeball and his eyeball had to be surgically removed. Sanders' attorneys commented on on the obvious irony in this case that Sanders was there protesting unchecked police brutality when he ended up becoming a victim of it. According to the Sheriff's Department records, Deputy Lori had no training for the weapon that he used that day when he fired out of that broken window. and he he fired wildly into the crowd and kept asking a fellow deputy for more rounds to fire. And from what we can tell, the deputy at the heart of this case is still employed with the county, which is kind of astonishing, considering that the state's Bureau of Criminal Investigation has completed its investigation into the shooting, uh, though I don't think the findings of that have been released.
0: Well, this was cruelty, if you if you see it in I mean, there was nothing this guy was doing to merit. Getting shot with the beanbag and you know, suffered the loss of his eye. It was it was one of the most horrible parts of that. We should remind people too. This was planned as a peaceful protest. There was an abject failure by the Cleveland Police Department to get the intelligence they should have to understand they should have staffed this thing. So as this protest moved to the courthouse, which was seriously understaffed. Things got out of hand, and there's a strong argument to be made that it was the law enforcement agencies that that triggered the violence, that things were peaceful before they became the aggressors. It was a very ugly day. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Former cop for university hospitals was one of the many who entered the U.S. Capitol in the Donald Trump-induced insurrection of 2021. Lisa, what is his penalty?
3: Former UH police officer Saul Yamas was sentenced to three years probation, fined $2,500, has to pay $500 in restitution, and perform 120 hours of community service for his actions at the Capitol during January 6th. The prosecutors actually sought a, sought a two-week jail sentence. They said his employment as a law enforcement officer should have been able to recognize that his presence at the Capitol was not welcome. Also sentenced was his girlfriend, Jordan Seamers. She's a a former UH nursing assistant. Um, she now works at a nursing home. And she said in a statement to the judge that all my hard work vanished in the blink of an eye. Also sentenced their roommate, Ryan Swoop. Um, he pepper sprayed a Capitol police officer outside of the Capitol. And Yamas, in his letter to the federal judge, Trevor McFadden, he apologized for his mistaken judgment. He said he went to DC due to his interest in history and politics and wanted to get his girlfriend interested Well, he said, our allegiance was not to Donald Trump that day, but to God and living by the word of God. (laughs) But, you know, several area law enforcement officers and a Cuyahoga County Sheriff's deputy actually wrote letters praising Yamas as a caring police officer and coworker.
0: Yeah, but he's a law enforcement officer. He knows he shouldn't have been in there. He knows what the rules are and he broke them. He got off easy. I I still marvel at the number of people that went to Washington to pretty much overthrow the government of the United States in worship of Donald Trump to say it's about God. That's preposterous right
3: yeah it's pretty preposterous and he wasn't only just a uh police officer he was a former north perry township and timberlake police officer who wants to get back into policing he's currently not in the profession but uh he they were in the capital you know the his girlfriend said that they were only in the capital for nine minutes and when they realized what was going on they left but you know one of them pepper sprayed a cop yeah yeah it's bad news
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for a Tuesday. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, everybody who listens to the podcast. Come on back Wednesday for another discussion of the news.